1: Secondary active transport, pumps, ATP, solutes, solvents. These are all terms you've probably heard before in your maybe first year biology class. And you're probably sitting there thinking, what the hell are they talking about? Matt, have you heard these terms before? (laughs) What are we talking about today, Matt? Public transport. (laughs) Sorry, membrane transport. Um. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today, we're talking about membrane transport. There's a lot to talk about today, but I think we can do it in a relatively short amount of time. Don't you think, Matt? We've got 54 hours on this hard drive. Okay. Hopefully, we can do it, everyone. (laughs) So, I think the first, the best place to start is with a concept known as diffusion.
2: Yeah, I think you you just mentioned a whole lot of words. I think you should define
1: those first. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so a couple of definitions. Solute and solvent. Okay, so a solute is something that's dissolved in a solvent.
2: Yep, and solvent is a fluid?
1: Yep. Like Um, water? Yeah, well, that's the um, universal solvent is water. And when we talk about biology, which we are today, we're only talking about water. So anytime myself or Matt says solvent, you must just think water. Anytime we say solute, it's any particle that's dissolved in that water. So it's
2: particles yep. dissolved in water. Yeah, is a solute.
1: Yeah, and a particle is basically uh, any small matter or substance. Okay. Now, can I just say to the listeners, they may be hearing some background noise. We're recording in Matt's home, and he's got his windows open. It's a beautiful sunny day. We're in isolation. We're in isolation. Well, we're working from home. Matt's home. <laughs> So if there's some background noise, I do apologise, but it's, it's our, we've got this beautiful Mount Tambourine backdrop. Anyway, so what else were we defining? Should we, def- should we go through the definitions of each movement when we get to it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so should well, I think the, a good place to start now that we've defined solute, solvent and particle is the example I like to use in my lectures with my students to define, define the first concept, which is diffusion. Okay. And this is a type of passive transport? That's right. Okay. So, no energy is required in this process. Okay. All right. So, I always say to my students, you know, I've got, should have around about 300 in the class, but I've usually got around about 150. And I say to them, if I were to get 100 of you out off the stage, uh, off your seats and come up to the stage and I blindfold all 100 of you and then put you all into a tight group so there's a high concentration of students,
2: At the front of the lecture theatre.
1: That's right. And then I say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just spin you all around really quickly with your blindfold on. And then when I say go, I'm going to start a stopwatch and you're going to walk straight ahead. Now, if you hit something, you just bounce off it in the opposite direction and you continue to do that. If you hit each other, that's fine. You bounce off in the opposite direction. Continue to do that until I say stop. So I say go and they start to move around the classroom at random. They hit things, they bounce off, they keep moving. And after a minute, I say, stop. Then they stop moving, they take their blindfolds off, and they look around. And what we find is after around about a minute or a couple of minutes, that the students are randomly distributed across the front of the stage. Mm -hmm. And in actual fact, they're basically evenly distributed across the stage. Now, the thing is, they had their blindfolds on, so they had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea where they were going, and there was no intent to their movement. But what they ended up doing was moving from an area of high concentration to their respective area of low concentration where there weren't many students until they were evenly distributed. Okay. That's diffusion. Brilliant. So that is... And so the take-home message here is all particles, not just students, move randomly.
2: We'll follow this law. Is Is it a law?
1: Well, it's called Brownian motion. Okay. And it basically just states that all particles, whatever they may be, the particles on the chair that you're sitting on, the particles in your body, the particles of, that make up the walls of your house, and your dog and your grandma, they're all vibrating or slowly moving. Well, they're shaking. Mm. And if they are released into a solvent, like solutes are, they're more free to move. So, so if you have a high concentration of these solutes in an area, they're respectively just going to, at random, move, bounce off walls, bounce off each other, and then given a sufficient amount of time, they'll be evenly distributed, and that is the definition of diffusion.
2: Okay. And are there any variables that will change the speed of this?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, let's just say I were to crank up the temperature inside that lecture theater. Okay. Or let's just say the floor's hotter. Oh, yeah. Right? The so temperature? The temperature goes up. They're going to be bouncing around a bit faster, right? So so they're moving quicker. Yeah. Okay. And so moving quicker means there's... So all this means is there's an increased chance that they're going to bounce off more walls, bounce off each other each more other. often, and increase their likelihood of being randomly distributed faster.
2: Okay. Any other... What, what about if the, the number of the students...
1: Okay, so if you increase the number, so if we went from 100 to 150 at the front and I said go, they're more likely to bounce off each other, which means they're more likely to go in the opposite direction from each other, Mm -hmm. which means they're more likely to be randomly distributed over time. Quicker? Quicker. Okay.
2: Um, What about the solvent itself? Could you change the viscosity of it?
1: Oh, so instead of them just moving around in a lecture theatre of open air, that would have filled the lecture theatre with, what do you think? Custard. Custard? Do you like custard?
2: Um, I don't dislike it. Okay. It's done nothing against you or your family. I don't eat it frequently.
1: (laughs) So, we fill the lecture theatre with custard and get them to do the same thing. Well, they're experiencing resistance because they're medium. Oh, so
2: it slows them down.
1: That's right. The solvent that they're in is slowing them down, and therefore it takes longer. Okay. So, what were the three things that we just stated that can affect the rate of diffusion? Temperature, number, and solvent. Perfect. What
2: about the size of the particle?
1: Oh, that's a good point. So if I had some students who, let's say, weighed 50 kilos and some students that weighed 250 kilos... Um, so you've
2: been very PC here. Yes.
1: I mean, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> but if I had a student that was 250, 300 kilos, they would be moving more... Heavy, s- heavy boned. Heavy boned. Moving more slowly through the front of the lecture theater. So the larger the particle, the slower the movement. Okay. And it's only because they have a greater surface area, experiencing more resistance as they move through the medium. Yeah, right. Okay. That's all it is.
2: Particularly if it's custard.
1: Particularly custard. All right, so they may stop to eat the custard.
2: <laughs> so let's just give one common example besides the lecture theatre. I think tea and a tea bag. Well hot water. Or let's just say water and a tea bag. Yeah. Okay. So the tea leaves well this this actually brings in almost the next concept, which is doing diffusion with a cell membrane, mm. but in this case um, what we've got with a tea bag is we've got a uh, the bag, which is semi yeah, so the the tea leaves can't get out mm. but whatever's dissolved in the tea leaves can get through the bag yeah into the water or the solvent in the mug,
1: and they go from there. Area of high tea leaf concentration. Which is the bag. To the area of low tea leaf concentration. Which is the mug. Until over time.
2: They're both the same.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a, this is what the and body is. And this is wants. where
2: the, uh, the manufacturer will say, steep it for two to three minutes.
1: Yeah. So, steeping <laughs> is the tea version of diffusion. Yeah. So, um, most people. Sometimes they- you can buy a diffuser for tea, right? Don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's called a diffuser where you put it into something that looks like there's holes. It's got like a, a, a metallic Is it like membrane. the metal thing? Yeah, the met- yeah. Oh, yeah. and there's H- holes H- in H- it. Like H- those cups. Yeah, and oh, you put okay. it in and it, it's called a diffuser because it allows for the tea to diffuse. And again, the definition of diffusion, the movement of a solute or particle from its area of high solute or particle concentration to its area of low solute or particle concentration. And remember, solutes will only move down their own. Solute concentration. Okay. They don't give a crap about any other solutes that are around them.
2: All right. Well, let's just finish this analogy. So, um, you would put, if you want the diffusion to be quicker, yeah, you use hot water opposed to cold water. Yep. So, if you'd use cold water, it would still diffuse to a point, but it'll take a lot longer
1: because it's slowing down the yeah. movement of the particles. And it probably tastes crap. Um, well,
2: I guess it's iced tea in a way.
1: Maybe. All right. Um, I think we That's pretty it. good for diffusion, right? So this is what we call passive diffusion where there's no membrane to move through or if there is a membrane, which we're going to define right now, it moves freely through that membrane unimpeded, almost as though there is no membrane. Okay. Now, do, now should we define what a membrane is and then we can talk about diffusion a c- a through cell a cell membrane. membrane. Yeah, cell membrane. Okay. So cell membranes are made up of two layers and the two layers are what? Phospholipids. Yes. Now, a phospholipid is just like a triglyceride. Remember, triglyceride is the way we store fat and ingest fat, which is a glycerol backbone with three fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And all of that hates water. So, it's hydrophobic. But a phospholipid is almost like a triglyceride. It's basically a glycerol backbone, but it's got fatty acid tails and a phosphate. Now... Two fatty acid tails and a phosphate. Now here's the thing. The reason why fat doesn't like water is because there's not many oxygen molecules in fatty acids. Okay. So fatty acids are hydrocarbons. So there's hydrogen and carbon with only two oxygens in this in you know, you can have hydrocarbon tails or chains that have, you know, twenty or so carbons with In length. In length, with more hydrogens. Without Oxygen. With only two oxygens in total. But phosphate has four oxygens with a charge associated with them. Okay. And it's these charged oxygens that love water. So what we have with a phospholipid is one end that's hydrocarbons Mm -hmm. that hate water. Yep. And one end that has heaps of charged oxygens that love water. And we call this amphipathic Which means one side hates water. Yeah, one side hates water, one side loves water. And therefore, it is um, conflicted when it is dissolved or placed within a solvent. Okay. Now, if you've got heaps of these amphipathic phospholipids in one solvent area, they actually spontaneously come together to form a phospholipid bilayer. Can you describe what the phospholipid bilayer looks like?
2: Well, I think the phospholipid looks kind of like a tadpole, but with two tails. Yeah, so a big head, a big round head, and two tails. Now, the because it's a bilayer, the tails of the um, tadpole touch each other, and the, the heads stick out.
1: Now, why would that be the case?
2: Because the the water or the solvent um, is uh, well, the heads of the tadpole wants to face the water. Yeah, and so the tails staying away from the water so this would be a, what we call a hydrophobic region of the cell mm. or of the membrane at least.
1: And so that's the thing it, it spontaneously forms membranes that separate an external environment and an internal environment both filled with fluid or solvent and it makes sense this is its best conformation to minimize any energy issues. So the fatty acid tails don't want to touch water they just want to touch each other. Mm-hmm. The hydrophobic Phosphate heads just want to touch water. Okay. And so, some are exposed to the water inside of a cell. Which which is is now intracellular. And some are exposed to the outside of the cell. Extracellular. Sometimes called interstitial. Mm. And now we've got a phospholipid bilayer.
2: Okay. So, this now means that we've got a barrier between two fluid mediums.
1: Correct. Okay. Which is super important.
2: And so, now we can't diffuse things like we did in the lecture theatre. As, yes. a, as easy because we've got a barrier there.
1: Now, this barrier is what we call selectively permeable,
2: which means allows some things through, but not everything.
1: And it's because of the phospholipid tails. Okay. Right? Because fats uh, are only uh, lipophilic. And so, what that means is if something's lipophilic, it only likes things that can be fat soluble to move through. But here's the or, def-
2: or non charged?
1: Yes, which is sort of part of that whole process because if it's water-soluble, it'll have a charge associated with it. Okay. Most likely. But here's the quick and nasty definition that I give to my students. If it's large or charged, it doesn't get through the phospholipid bilayer. Mm-hmm. So, large could include... So, this is the thing. It's, it's all relative. Like, what is large? Uh, I would say a molecule is large. So, if it's a couple of...
2: But you could say is a molecule.
1: Correct. And water is actually the one uh, molecule that doesn't fit within the criteria for large and charged. All right. Because water is slightly charged. Even though we don't write it like that, it is slightly charged. It's, bi- it's a bipolar sort of molecule. Um, and it's large, but it freely passes through the membrane. Yeah. But excluding water, if it's large, like a molecule like glucose... Or- a protein. Or a protein. So, proteins are, you know, they're, they're the macro molecule of amino acids and nucleotides. Uh, well, mainly amino acids. And uh, glucose, for example, is made up of six carbons, 12 hydrogens, six oxygens. So, that's a molecule. Quite big. quite big. These things can't just freely move through. But the other thing is, atoms are the smallest things you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So, they don't tick the large box, but some atoms have a charge associated with yeah. them. And so then they're called ions. They're called ions, and they can't move through because they're charged.
2: So, an example, correct me if I'm wrong here oxygen. Yes. Is two, two elements or two atoms joined together.
1: Yeah, two so atoms of the same element. Of,
2: so, it's oxygen, O2. So, yep. there's two oxygens. Um, and that can get through the membrane yep. without a problem.
1: It's a gas, and it has no charge.
2: Whereas sodium, yep. which for a m- size. Point of view would be smaller than the two oxygens, wouldn't it? Yeah. But it can't get through because it has a charge.
1: Yes. Um, Sodium, I don't know if sodium is smaller because oxygen, hydrogen, helium, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, eight, fluorine, neon, sodium, okay. So, yeah, okay. I'd say oxygen is bigger than one. Two oxygens are bigger than one sodium, but you're right. Sodium has the charge and that's the rate limiter, not getting through the fatty acid bilayer. Um, I mean, even water, just size wise,
2: is bigger than. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, it's two hydrogen, <laughs> one oxygen. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're getting into the weeds here. Yeah, but, but I think if it's large or charged, ain't getting through. Okay. So we now need to talk about how diffusion then works through a semi-permeable membrane. And so, the thing is, if it's a solute that is charged, it's not getting through. If it's a solute that is large, it's not getting through freely. But remember, they still want to go down their concentration gradient. Yep, Here's, That's the important thing. Anytime we talk about diffusion, whether it's diffusion of a gas or a solute or anything or in a nature. Solvent. Or a solvent. Yeah, true. A gas, solute or solvent, they all want to go down their own concentration gradients.
2: So, from a high to low. <clears throat>
1: that's right. So, if we Sim-
2: similar to like if you were up top of a hill with a tyre and you let it go, it wants to follow its gradient of going down the hill.
1: Yeah. And the example I use is if you're at the top of a slide, because it's more fun, to go from the top of the slide to the bottom, you just let go, cost you no energy, wee, you go from high to low.
2: Okay. Yep. All right. Because... And the gradient is uh, the movement
1: is fun. Based on gravity. It's the gradient of fun. But yeah, it's the yeah, that's right. All right, so if something wants to diffuse through this membrane down its concentration gradient, you can only do it if it's not large or charged. And you said oxygen is an example. So can oxygen... So this
2: is an example of passive transports?
1: Yep, passive transport, no energy
2: required. So passive diffusion, we're doing examples now yep. across a membrane. And the best example are the gases, which we do frequently to keep us alive.
1: Oxygen and carbon dioxide.
2: So, oxygen wants to go from, the, let's say, the blood. Forget that the lungs at this point. Um, we've got oxygen in the blood. We want to put oxygen from the blood into your cells so you can make ATP. Yep. And so, it diffuses out of the blood into the interstitial fluid or the extracellular fluid and then wants to go into the cell where there's less oxygen compared to the extracellular fluid. So, it just goes straight through the membrane without kind of any problem. So it's still following its gradient.
1: Yeah, the whole point is that oxygen will only move from an area of high oxygen to an area of low oxygen. Yep. So any time it goes from the lungs to the blood, it's going down a gradient. Yep. From the blood into the tissues, down a gradient. Yep. And then when you look at carbon dioxide, which has to move in the opposite direction, it's going down its concentration gradient. From the cells to the blood, down a gradient. From the blood to the lungs, down a gradient. And so, all of this is moving through fatty fatty acid bilayers or phospholipid bilayers, but freely because there's no charge and it's small.
2: So, it just squeezes between the heads and the tails and just pops through at the other side. That's right.
1: Okay. So, that's gases. The other thing that can move through uh, quite freely is water, but but there's some evidence to suggest that it may not move freely. It may require channels to move through, so we can get to that shortly. Mm. But the other thing that can move through freely is ethanol or alcohol. So, or even I don't want to confu- confuse the listeners, but also fat soluble things. Fat soluble things. So there's certain fat soluble drugs, steroids. Like steroids, yeah. Steroids that can move straight through the membrane because like likes like. Does that make sense? Fats like fats, so it lets it through. It's a bouncer at a nightclub meets another bouncer that works on weekdays. Come to the club and says, "Yeah, you work here. Off you go. Come in. No troubles." Excellent. Right. So, this is what we call passive diffusion. It requires no energy. It goes down its own concentration gradient and it moves freely through the cell because the things that are moving are not large or charged.
2: So, yep. So oxygen goes into the cell. Carbon dioxide comes out because you're building CO2 up in the cell because you've just made your ATP. You've used your oxygen. You've made your, well, you've made your energy and now you've got CO2 in excess in the cell but there's less CO2 outside the cell, so CO2 just goes out passively. All right. We so, don't we, so that's passive diffusion finished? Yes. Okay. Done. Tick. Now, now we move to the ones that can't move across the membrane because they're charged or too big. But if they had the opportunity, they would move across in a gradient, but they can't at this point in time.
1: Everything wants balance, Right.
2: So, we need to to facilitate this movement. Yeah. So, we need a friend. Can we? To move it across the membrane.
1: Yeah. So, we need a protein called a transmembrane protein, also known as a channel. Yep. That is basically like a tunnel that moves all the way through this fatty acid bilayer from the outside or extracellular area to the inside, the intracellular area. And it's usually the specific to a particular solute or particle. So it's not as if this protein is a tunnel that just opens up and lets anything through. It only lets very specific things through. Okay. Again, like a bouncer at a nightclub. Brilliant. You know, if, if you're a very attractive person, they often just let you walk straight through. They're facilitating your movement from a high concentration of people outside of the club to a lower concentration of people inside the club down your attractive person gradient. So and they let you through while they do not let others through. <laughs> all right. Is that all right? Yeah, wonderful. I'm not saying I support that practice. That explains practice. why I never get let into clubs. And this explains why I never see you in there. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that's facilitated transport. Again, down a concentration gradient, requires no energy, but we need something facilitating it, which is a protein. Now this can happen. So can we what are some examples of this? specifically or do you want to do the categories um let's do the categories and then we can
2: give examples okay so the categories which means the way that the let's just say ions at this point in time yeah will move now we'll, we'll go particles because there's going to be glucose in here as well which yeah. is not an ion um there are th- there's there's movement that's in one direction so we call this a uni porter yeah yeah there's um, some ions go in one direction. No, actually, multiple ions can go in the same direction, which we call symporters, And then there's sometimes one ion goes one way and another ion goes the other way, which is an antiporter.
1: I don't know any examples of antiporter facilitated diffusion. I thought they were all secondary active transport. We'll,
2: we'll get to that, but I'm just saying this is the movement across the membrane. Okay. Um, depending on the protein that's carrying it but the, the, the first example we're going to use is the, the uniporter, which is just basically you open the channel or you open the door and all that happens is one iron will move down its gradient from a high to a low,
1: okay? Like sodium. There's sodium channels, potassium yep. channels, calcium channels, chloride yep. channels. Yep. So, we're
2: going to just stick with these as an example now.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so they're all going down their own concentration. That's right. Rate. Okay.
2: And there's sometimes different reasons for why the channel will open, Okay. Okay. Sometimes the channel will open when you put a voltage through it. So you like zap the channel. Zap. So like the you got a door on the membrane. Yeah. And if you send electricity into the door,
1: the door will open. So the uh, the charge is the key to open the protein. That's right. Okay. And these are called voltage gated channels. Okay. So and it's gated like the uh, gate of a. Like a, just a gate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, so if you send an electricity zap into these channels, a
1: voltage gated channel, yeah, um a good example is sodium, but not all ele- not all charges are, are the same key, right yeah, yeah. there's
2: different there's different charges which will, which will be the specific for that door, okay, okay, so sodium might be at once you get to the charge of say negative fifty five Millivolts. millivolts. The door just springs open. Yep. But that's a door only for sodium. Okay. And that means sodium now is free to go the way it wants to go.
1: Okay. And, and w- so, where is sodium? Just, just so people have a the bigger picture here, uh, where is sodium usually living? Is it usually living outside the cell or inside the cell predominantly? It's more abundant extracellularly. Okay. So, it's, there's more of it outside the cell than
2: inside. So, once you open that door, now sodium will go in. From outside.
1: From outside. So that's moving down its concentration gradient. So from the top of the slide to the bottom, no energy, yep. through a protein. Which has just been opened by a voltage. So this is called voltage-gated facilitated transport. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's Or a- voltage-gated facilitated diffusion.
2: Yeah. And so a good example of that is what you find on neurons. Okay. Um, with a action potential about to begin. Or, so di- or this is called depolarization.
1: And this is where you send an electrical signal through yeah. the neurons. Okay. Right. Brilliant. All right. And so that's sodium and we've got, so basically that's using a voltage gated channel. Yep. What are some other gated channels? That don't uh, use ligand, voltage? ligand gated, which is. Um, like a like, lock and key mechanism. Yeah. Like a physical key. Yeah. i well, a swipe molecule. card. Oh, okay. I like that. So what's an example? So obviously we said millivolts is an example of the key in the okay, previous so this, example. Okay, so this one,
2: as the channel, is a glucose transporter.
1: An example. Okay. So they're yep. not all glucose transporters.
2: This particular example is a glucose transporter protein. Yep. Okay. So glucose wants to get into the cell.
1: So that means it's ha- it has a high concentration outside the cell. Yep. All right.
2: But it can't get in because yep. the membrane won't let it. Gotcha. But there's a special door. Because it's co- too big. Too big. Right. There's a special door called a glucotransporter. And there's many different types, but we're just doing a generic example here. Sure. It can't get in. Um, it does, has no access, but it needs a friend to swipe it in.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Or it just needs its own swipe card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: So this the friend is insulin. Gotcha. And so insulin comes along. It's the ligand. It uh-huh. comes along because it's released from the pancreas. Yep. And, w- you know, when your glucose levels in your blood builds up
1: and it makes a phone call to the pancreas and says look I need one of your blokes to come in I left my swipe card at home can you just swipe me in two minutes I'll just be in there super quick get my work done it's all good
2: make some energy and I'll leave
1: okay (laughs) so uh, except except it doesn't leave
2: insulin comes along (laughs) yep swipes the glute transporter yep and then the door opens
1: and glucose diffuses in down its concentration gradient through a channel and it's ligand, ligand, or ligand, mediated, facilitated diffusion. Correct. Are there any other types?
2: Oh, there's heaps. But okay. I mean, other examples, you could have um, mechanical gated, so when you actually... Touch something, for example. Yeah, so this would be on your fingertips. Yeah. You actually depress or change the shape of the protein by a mechanical stimulus. Yep. It will alter it. Okay. Like, And, and that's how you hear as well. Yeah. It's um, the pressing of the sound waves that goes through into the liquid of the, your um, middle ear. Yeah. Kind of, sorry, inner ear. Um, moves through as like uh, compression waves and then push on these little hair cells which have these mechanical gated um, channels. Yeah. And then ions can go in which starts the electrical stimulus which sends to your brain and you hear it as a sound. Perfect. Same with vision. So they all kind of work this way.
1: Okay. Yeah. So this sort of facilitated diffusion opening the channel and letting the molecule go down its concentration gradient. Is that the only type of facilitated diffusion that we have? Well, that's an example of a uniporter, so one-directional. So, this is
2: um, down a gradient without needing any of the energy. But now, I think when we go into the other types, which I said were a simporter, so we push in multiple things across, or an antiporter, one goes in one direction, one goes the opposite direction, you now... These now move into a another category that require a bit of energy. Yeah, this is now called active, active transport, and there's two types: primary and secondary.
1: Okay, so just so everyone can, so we're
2: now trend, um, we're changing into from passive
1: now into active. Yes, so so everyone can tick a box. What we've now finished with is passive transport. Looking at the different types of diffusion now. There's another type of passive transport. Oh, yes. Which I think we should talk yeah, about first. It. Should we talk about it first? Definitely. Just yes. so we can tick off all passive transport. And that type of passive transport I was is... actually
2: testing you just to see if you're awake. Really? Yeah, well done.
1: Okay. Who's the one still in their pajamas? So, <laughs> I'm at home. <laughs> you, you could have put pants on. So when we look at passive transport, we've done diffusion. We now need to talk about osmosis. Now, for some reason, students lose their mind with osmosis because you probably remember, or could just be me, I remember from grade 9 the definition of osmosis. Osmosis is the movement of water from an area of high water concentration to an area of low water concentration through a semi-permeable membrane. Mm. Okay. Boring doesn't really mean too much unless we put it into practice. So, this is where the movement of water is going down its concentration. So, it's diffusion of water. Right? Sorry?
2: Irrelevant to anything else at this point.
1: Water does not care. It's going down its own concentration gradient. But this is where it gets a bit squirrely in people's heads because you're thinking, what the hell is a high water concentration gradient and what's a low water concentration? You know, how does water have a gradient? Yep. This is where water takes into consideration the presence of other particles or solutes within the solvent. Or the water. Or the water. From one side of a membrane to another. So osmosis only really occurs through a membrane that allows water to pass through but doesn't allow other things to pass through, all right? So when we look at a cell and we said, now let's just say that we've got a cell, phospholipid bilayer. Matt said earlier that sodium's predominantly outside the cell. And let's just say all the sodium channels are shut and they're not going to open. And the sodium concentration increases outside the cell. Now there's water obviously outside the cell and inside the cell and the water is constantly weighing up the concentration of itself and other things, and the water will go from its area of high water concentration. In this case, if there's less particles in the cell and more particles outside, the place that has more particles is taking up more space, so there's less water. So the water will move from its high concentration inside the cell to outside the cell where the particles sit. But I hate this way of thinking about it because I don't think it's intuitive. And the way I like to think about it is that water will move in the direct Because it's the solvent. Water will move in the direction that there is a higher concentration of solutes. And the way I think about it is if there's a tug-of-war. If you have... So let's, there's a rope and that's the cell membrane. If you have five students on one end of the rope and 50 students on the other end of the rope, who's going to win the tug-of-war? The 50 students. So the place that has the higher concentration will pull the water towards it. That's how I think about it. So if you have a question in an exam that has a semipermeable me- membrane, water on both sides, and solutes to varying concentrations on both sides, the easy to how do you know which way the water's going to go? Which side has the higher number of solutes? And that's where water's going to go. Okay. So I always think of solutes exerting a pull on Is water. Is that osmotic pressure then? That's how I think of osmotic pressure, as a pull on water. Okay. Yep. So any side that has a higher osmotic pressure is going to exert a stronger pull on that water. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Which means that you can go from the definition of osmosis from osmosis is the movement of water through a semi-permeable membrane from an area of higher water concentration to an area of lower water concentration. You can tweak this definition so it makes a bit more sense in this current definition by saying osmosis is the movement of water through a semi-permeable membrane, from an area of low solute concentration towards an area of high solute concentration because the high solute concentration is pulling the water towards it. You cool with that?
2: And this is why you don't drink seawater.
1: Why? Tell us.
2: Okay, well, seawater compared to your internal water has more solutes in it.
1: Okay. Okay. In the form of salts?
2: Salt. Right. Sodium chloride. All right. So, if you drink it, mm. your body or your intestines will absorb both the water, but also the high amount of salt, uh-huh. and then pull it into your extracellular space.
1: Yep. So, outside the cells, but between the cells.
2: Yep. Yep. And then that will, because it's a high gradient of solutes now outside your cell, will pull all the water out of your cell. to try. Okay. To try and dilute it.
1: Gotcha. And that's what we want. So... The body wants balance. It wants homeostasis and it hates having different concentrations of stuff from one side of a membrane to another. So you've got to think about if you've got a, a concentration difference from outside to inside, what could the body do to balance it out? This is how you need to think. Don't memorize the definitions. What can the body do to balance it out? If it's semi-permeable membrane and it can let through ions or solutes, it will. And they'll go down their concentration gradient to balance it out. If these channels are closed or the solutes can't move through, then the solvent will move, which is water, and it will go towards the high concentration of solutes to balance it out. Just think what can you do to balance out the high concentration? That's it. Mm. That's yep. it. It's it, it really is an intuitive concept, but people lose their minds, but this is all the body wants to do. Yep. And this is the the basis of passive transport. And like Matt said, like, for example, if people are lactose intolerant, right? So lactose uh, is a sugar. It's a disaccharide. We need to chop it up into monosaccharides, which I think is maltose and glucose. And we can only, it's not maltose and glucose?
2: Galactose and glucose.
1: Sorry, galactose and glucose. Um, And so we can only absorb the single, or monosaccharides, glucose, galactose and fructose into our gut so we can use it for energy but we can't absorb the disaccharides like lactose. lactose. So we need the enzyme lactase to chop it up. If you don't have that enzyme lactase to chop it up, it remains as a disaccharide in your hollow lumen of your gut. But that means there's a high concentration of stuff in your gut lumen compared to outside your gut lumen. So it pulls water in towards it. That's osmosis. Yep. And you have diarrhea. Yeah. That's why it's called osmotic diarrhea.
2: Yeah, so there's some sometimes there's osmotic laxatives that work that way.
1: Yes, and so... That's how you need to think about it. Okay. So we are done with osmosis? No, not, not quite. Oh, okay.
2: Because I think one uh, another important principle with osmosis is the concept of tonicity.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. And this so, is putting it into practice.
2: So this is where you have... You need to have a relative um, comparison against something. So you need to have two solutions for the idea of tonicity. So this yeah. is where you have a solution that has high amounts of... Like, like the salt water, yep. high amounts of solute. This would be, you know, any time you hear a prefix that's um, referring to high, we use hyper. Okay. And at the other end would be hypo. Yep. And in the middle, which is the same as the other solution, it's iso. Oh,
1: okay. okay. So, so we use hypertonic,
2: yeah. hypotonic, hypotonic, isotonic. Okay. And so the example of seawater compared to your cell – fluid would be a hypertonic solution all right so, so with that example you drank the seawater it went into your gut you absorbed it across and then what happens is all that salt in your extracellular space is now hypertonic yeah and that's going to pull, pull the water out of your cell to try and overcome that difference
1: all right so this i like that okay if you have, so if I take any cell in your body and I were to measure the concentration of stuff in it, we say that, let's just say we measure salt, sodium chloride, right? It's the percentage of salt inside your cells is 0.9%. That's the concentration, okay. right? And if I were to test the concentration of salt outside your cells, it's also 0.9%, which means there is an even concentration of salt inside and outside your cells. And what that means is when you're healthy. So just,
2: so, just so you know what that percent means, it's basically if you had a liter of pure water mm. and you put about a teaspoon of salt into it, yeah. that would be 0.9% of sodium chloride. Yeah. Like nine grams in a thousand milliliters mm. of water. Yes. Yeah. So, that's
1: right. Nine grams of salt in a thousand milliliters of water.
2: So, that's basically the concentration of salt
1: in your cells. Yes. And outside your cells. Yeah. It's, it's, it's equal. And that's an important point because it means that if it's equal inside and outside your cells, the movement of water into and out of your cells is also equal. Whatever goes out comes back in. And that means your cells remain happy and healthy with the right, because your cells need to remain hydrated as well, right? Mm. So then Matt gave the example of, we've now introduced a whole bunch of salty water outside the cell which means that 0.9 goes... Let's
2: say I drank a litre of salt water, but instead of the 9 grams, it's 100 times.
1: Okay, so it's 900 grams inside that. So now we've got, instead of having 0.9%, we've got 90%. Yeah. Right? Is that right?
2: Maybe that's a bit excessive. Just say instead of one teaspoon, I put 10.
1: Okay, so instead of having 0.9%, we now have a 9% sodium chloride solution outside the cell compared to inside the cell. So now we've got a concentration difference yep. and we've defined osmosis yep. and water will move from inside outside to try and dilute it. What happens to the cell? It will lose its water content. So, so it shrinks. So it shrinks yep. and dehydrates. What's the term that we use for when a cell shrinks? Well, I think when it crenates? Yeah, crenation. So the cell crenates.
2: So a a good experiment that we do in the labs for this is exposing red blood cells, which are the the most abundant cells in your blood.
1: Yeah. Or body.
2: Um, are they? Yeah. Okay. Um, to, to different tonicities of fluid. Yeah. And so, because if you were to put, let's say, an IV solution, so intravenous solution into a person's vein, one of the first cells that will be exposed to this fluid with red blood cells. Yep. So, if you had a petri dish of just, say, red blood cells, okay, and you put hypertonic fluid into it they're the first cells that will be impacted mm-hmm. and because it's hypertonic compared to the fluid inside the red blood cell it will pull the fluid out of the red blood cell and they will crenate or shrink
1: yes like matt said earlier like
2: uh sultanas yeah
1: like matt said earlier and it's a really important point is tonicity you know hypertonic as an example it's all relative so students lose their mind and, and they always think oh hypertonic must be one, concent- one particular concentration, but it's not. You just have to compare with whatever you're talking about, and mm. often it's cells of the body, yeah. and often cells of the body are 0.9%. Yep. So usually, if it's above 0.9%, the solution you're talking about, it's a hypertonic solution. It means mm. above the concentration of the cell. Yep. If the concentration is below 0.9%, what's the term we use then?
2: Ah, hypotonic. Yes.
1: So below the concentration of the cell. So let's now say you said that you put a a 10, instead of putting one teaspoon, you put 10 teaspoons in. Yeah. And you had 9% uh, 9 sodium chloride. Let's now say that instead of putting one teaspoon in, you put in one-tenth of that teaspoon, and you've now got 0.09% sodium chloride that you're drinking. Yeah. Um, or let's no putting into your veins, for example, because yeah. probably better example because we're very good at handling salt before it hits the blood, right? So let's now say we put into the veins 0.09 percent mm-hmm. a hypotonic solution. What now happens to the cell?
2: So it's basically um, free water, pure water almost. Yeah, basically almost. Um, well, it's hypotonic, so now your cells, um, relative to that water, are what we call hypertonic. Oh, here we go. So, therefore, the opposite is going to happen. So, the, the water that you've just put in will just go across the cell membrane into the cells.
1: And what happens to the cell?
2: They will start to swell and swell and swell. And then? And then they may get to a point where they rupture or bust.
1: And the term we use for that is? Busting. <laughs> lysis. Lysis, okay. Yes. So, if it shrinks and dehydrate, dehydrates, it crinates. If it swells and bursts, it's Lysis. And if you're having difficulty understanding the concept, if you want the quick cheat, hypotonic, hypo. there's an O, which is big, fat, and round. That's what happens to the cells in a hypotonic solution. Or you can think hippo, hypo, like a hippo, big, fat, and round. That's what happens to the cells. I don't like remembering things like this because it means you don't understand the concept. If you understand the concept, it should actually come naturally. Now, what if I were to put into your veins one teaspoon of sugar? (laughs) <laughs> one <laughs> teaspoon of salt um, in a thousand mils yeah. and it ends up being 0.9%. What's this solution called?
2: Isotonic.
1: So it means same concentration. Yeah. And the net movement of water back and forth across the cell is? The same. Okay. So that's tonicity. Yep. And we need to understand this because patients will get varying concentrations of salty solutions put into their Blood system, yeah.
2: Salty solutions or other things in it. So sometimes you'll give your patients glucose, um, water with glucose, water with bicarbonate, water with potassium, water with salt,
0: depending on what's happening. Yeah,
2: depends on what their other physiological states going through. So if they're extremely dehydrated with electrolyte imbalances, you might put other electrolytes in. If they've got pH issues, you might use bicarbonate or other. Or
1: this is a whole other conversation. Have we done a fluid balance? I'm Podcast? not sure.
2: Oh, we might have done it with kidney. But um, by and large, most of the IV fluids will be isotonic. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I could be wrong. I'm happy to be corrected here. But I don't think there's really any examples of a hypotonic IV Hypo? Used. Hypo. No. But Where, there is hyper. Hyper. It's not used that frequently. But I think if they're trying to pull fluid out of a space, like if you have cerebral edema, so you have fluid in your brain they may give a hypertonic solution to try and pull it out of your brain.
1: I think we should do a, an episode on IV solutions. Okay. But, but not today. All um,
2: right, so that's really osmosis finished. Are we happy with that?
1: So we're done, we've are done. we done, what's the time? 45 minutes and we've done passive transport.
2: We've still got 54 hours.
1: Oh, that's fine. Then everyone can uh, stay listening. So, yep. Maddie, this is passive transport. It's all gone down a concentration gradient from high to low. Has required no energy. It moves through a membrane or doesn't, and we're done. Okay. Active transport. Active transport is different to passive transport because it goes uphill. So this is, you know, I use, I use the uh, slide. Going from the top of the slide to the bottom, you let go. wee, You have fun, no energy. Yep. But if you want to go from the bottom of the slide to the top, you need to climb the ladder, and that costs you energy to go from low to high. Mm. So anytime you're going from a low concentration to a high concentration of a solute or particle, you need energy to do this. Yep. And the example I use, if we were to piggyback on the example I used at the beginning with the students at the front of the lecture, if I were to have a lecture theatre connected to the lecture theatre next door by a door, and I had 100 students in one lecture theatre and 50 students in the other lecture theatre, blindfold them, spin them, tell them to walk at random and open the door, what you'd find is that some are going to diffuse around their own room and some are going to at random diffuse through the door. Now, here's the thing. The individuals that have the high, the room that has the higher concentration of individuals at random will, you can hear all the birds in the background. Has the serenity? The room that has the higher individuals will be more likely to diffuse into the other room at random right? because there's a higher chance higher people, and then it equally distributes, hence diffusion through a membrane right or through a channel. but let's just say we now wanted the room that had 50 people compared to the room with hundred people we wanted to forcefully move those 50 into the other room okay. now at random they're moving against the concentration gradient because there's going to be more people moving from the room of hundred people to the room of 50 people. so we need something there that can stop the 100 people moving through and help push the 50 people through like a bouncer. Again, a bouncer or a security guard, which says, hey, halt, I'm moving these people from their low concentration gradient to another. Yep. And this is ATP. ATP is the bouncer or a security guard in this scenario okay. that moves from a low to a high.
2: Should we just um, categorize that active has got two types? Now we can. Okay. So there's primary
1: which is an example of what I just showed yeah. using ATP directly to push it against its gradient.
2: And then the secondary,
1: which is a sneaky one where people we'll, we'll piggyback. Get that,
2: we'll get to that one.
1: Yeah, it's piggybacking.
2: So let's start with primary first. Okay. Which is utilizing a pump. Yep. Um, but the pump needs ATP.
1: So the definition of a pump is something that will use energy to go against the gradient. Yep. So you use a pump to inflate a tyre, yep. right? You use a pump to, your heart is a pump. It's going to, pushing against pressure. So, pumps or, need energy. Or water. Or so water. If you, again, water pump.
2: lived up a hill mm. and you needed to bring uh, or you needed to put a uh, a water tank up the hill. Yeah. Okay? So, you can put you had to pump the water up the hill to fill up the tank but then if you wanted to release the water at your own leisure it's just you it's just coming down its own gradient on its own later. Yeah. Which is gravity fed.
1: Perfect. Okay? Alright. So, active transport uses energy to pump something uphill. And so so AT, is it? It's called an ATPase pump. Okay. So the A says there's an enzyme. So the enzyme facilitates the use of ATP to help push it against its gradient. Yep. And it basically just pops off a phosphate. When you pop off a, a phosphate from ATP, energy is released and that's what we're using. Okay. So what's some examples? What's the primary example of primary active transport that every single cell especially every single um, active cell uses uh, sodium potassium pump yeah what so, happens here so let, let me go
2: back to the analogy well not just the physiological example that I used um, back with the diffusion facilitated diffusion um, with sodium going into the cell through the voltage-gated
1: channel. So okay so we've got a neuron for example yep. Um, you've you've got heaps of sodium outside the cell, not much inside. Yep. There's been negative 55 millivolts. Which is what we call threshold. It's opened the sodium specific channels. And that goes in. And so sodium has diffused into the cell. Yep. So that's facilitated diffusion. Yeah. Now all the sodium or most of the sodium is in the cell. Not,
2: not, oh, no, no, no. Some, oh. some some have started to go into the cell. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Now as you do that, sodium's got a charge of plus, a positive charge. Single positive charge. Yeah. All right. And as you start putting more sodium in the cell of the the neuron, it's going to make the inside of the cell more positive. Okay. Okay. Now, as you do that... That's happier. It's happier. It has
1: a better outlook on life. (laughs) (laughs) All
2: right. Uh, As you start doing this, the inside of the cell becomes more positive, more positive, more positive. Now, right next to the um, sodium channel, there's a potassium channel. Okay? Okay. So, this is a K plus. All right. K is the potassium. Yeah. Okay. It has a single charge as well. It has a single charge as well. Yeah. Now, at a certain voltage... Wait, where's, where
1: is potassium sitting, outside or inside?
2: There's more in. It's an intracellular ion. So The so opposite of sodium. Yeah, that's right. So, once you get to a certain charge, I forget what it is, what, zero? For what? Um, for the sodium, sorry, for the potassium door to open, the voltage. Positive potassium. 30. Oh, that much? Yeah. Okay, all right. So, let's say at positive 30 millivolts... Mm-hmm. Now, the voltage is enough to open the potassium door. Okay. Okay. So, now potassium door opens. Now, because there's more potassium in the cell than outside the cell, it's going to want to go along its gradient
1: and start leaving the cell. So, more facilitated diffusion. So, we've only spoken about facilitated diffusion so far.
2: Yep. I'll I'll get to why I'm doing this in a second. No, I
1: like you setting up a beautiful picture. (laughs) Keep going. Don't let me stop you. Don't let my interruption stop you.
2: Now, keep but, going. Now potassium leaves, okay? Now potassium's also got a positive charge. Right. So as the potassium starts leaving, you're going to make the inside of the cell
1: less, or negative. Po- less
2: positive it's or more negative. down on life, yeah. all right. So that, that starts to happen. At a similar time, the sodium channel will start to close, okay? And the potassium just keeps leaving. Okay. okay? Now it's going to keep leaving past the amount of sodium that we gained earlier. So that the actual inside of the cell is going to become hyperpolarized, or
1: you're introducing all these crazy yeah. terms, Matt. Just
2: make more negative than it once was. All right. Okay. So now everything's closed. Okay, but we want to redo what we just had done.
1: I see. All the channels are now shut. Yeah. But most of the sodiums in the cell this time, and most of the potassiums outside the cell. Where they did not originate. Correct. So, what you're saying is we need to reset everything. Reset it all. Throw that sodium out and throw that potassium back in. Yeah,
2: but... How do we possibly do it, But Matt? But saying that, to, to get the sodium back out, you're still pushing it against its gradient. Yes, because not all the sodiums come out. Right. And um, I to, mean, get the, in. to get the potassium back in, you're still pushing it against its gradient. Yes. So, you need a special channel with a pump. Okay. Okay. You need a bouncer? Yep. So, what happens here is... The bouncer will grab three sodium from the inside of the cell, yep. and throw it out. Okay, and almost at the same time, once those three sodium gets thrown out the door, it grabs two potassium and drags it in. Okay, now for the for the bouncer to do that, he needs he or she needs a lot of energy.
1: So it's like three Matt Bartons is going get out of here. We don't want you in here. Yep. And then potassium's like me is like oh we need as many Michaels as we can get into this club and grabs two potassium and chucks it in. Correct. So three positive things jump out, two positive things come in using ATP because they're both going against Against their concentration gradient.
2: And now you've kind of brought it back in the the neuron context back to a resting potential. Yep. And now you're ready in case you want another um, action potential to go down there.
1: Right. So you're using terms that probably we haven't introduced yet, but Matt's just explaining what happens when you want to send a signal down a neuron. Yep. And, and that so signal needs to be, the signal can only happen when sodium jumps into a cell. That's the signal, when sodium jumps into the cell. But in order for sodium to jump in, there needs to be a charge difference. And I've spoken about that in a separate uh, podcast, which we'll probably redo, because I did it by myself, because you're in India. sorry Action Potentials, yeah. Okay. I did it, I just did it by myself, and I spoke non-stop, went for four and a half hours. No, it went for probably, probably five. Probably did, actually. No, just probably three hours. Okay, Okay. so that's an example of primary active transport where a solute goes against its concentration gradient using ATP and this specific case where they both went in the opposite direction is called primary active transport using an antiporter. Yes, very good. Okay, well, thank you. (laughs) And do Do you want another example of that or are you happy with that? I'm happy with that. Okay. I think everyone, I mean, after you spoke about membrane transport for 20 minutes,
2: no, I want to give another example. Uh, okay. There's a there's a, also a primary active pump in your stomach, <laughs> right? In your um, yeah. gut. Yeah, you said no, just stomach. A, just stay stay with stomach. Okay. What do you know about the environment in the stomach, in the fluid part, the lumen of the stomach? It's acidic. It's Acidic. So it's got a lot of HCl. What's that? Hydrogen chloride.
1: Okay. Or hydrochloric <laughs> acid. Hydrochloric acid. Because it donates a proton.
2: Yeah. So. You need to get a lot of. You need to pump a lot of um, hydrogen into the lumen of your stomach,
1: so the hollow part where yeah. we digest food. That's right. right.
2: And to do this, it goes. It's going against its gradient. Okay. And the antiporter sec- se- section of it is you pushing the hydrogen out, and what's coming in is the actual um, potassium. Okay. Okay. And so, the reason why this is important this is. Hydrogen is sometimes called a proton. Do you want to explain why? Just really in I, 10 it, seconds?
1: Yeah, because if you look at the periodic table, uh, a proton is a single positive charged particle inside of the nucleus of an atom. And if you have one proton, it's called a proton. And hydrogen has one proton. Okay, that's, Hence why it's sometimes just called a proton. That's 10, cent- 10 seconds. That, that was right. under 10 seconds. All right.
2: So basically this pump is a primary... It's primary active. Yeah. Okay. And it's antiporter. Yeah. So it's pumping one hydrogen out into the stomach um, space and sucking one potassium back in.
1: Both going against their concentration gradient. Correct.
2: And there's a drug that blocks this pump called ameprazole. And there's a whole bunch. Sometimes we call them PPIs proton pump inhibitors, which can be used for if you've got stomach ulcers or you've got gourd
1: gastroesophageal reflux
2: disease. So you're actually preventing this pump working. Yep. That's just an example that I thought I could use just um, for a clinical reason.
1: Okay. All right. So let's now talk about secondary active transport. So secondary active transport is interesting because it uses energy but not in the form of ATP. So where can it possibly get the energy from?
2: Can I give an example... An analogy for this one, I think, that makes the most sense.
1: Right. Can I define it first <laughs> or not? <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. So instead of using ATP, what happens is a molecule that, or solute or particle that needs to go against its concentration gradient, it actually uses the energy of another solute that's going down its concentration gradient. So for example, let's just say there's something like sodium that's at the top of the slide and it wants to go down the slide. All sodium needs to do is let go. But if there is another solute or particle that want that its high concentration gradient is actually at the bottom of the slide, it hops on the back of sodium and uses the energy of it going down its concentration gradient to get in. Brilliant. All right, now give me your wonderful example.
2: Okay, you know how um, let's say it's usually in cities where we have big buildings like hotels, and at the entry point they have these big roll-in doors, <laughs> but. The yeah. circular doors? The spinning doors. What are spinning they called? Doors. I don't know. Rotating doors. Yeah, okay. But let's say this door isn't generated by electricity. It actually requires a person to push it. Yep. Okay. And you know how they have se- like sections or compartments? Yeah. Where you yeah. can like multiple people can jump in? Revolving doors. Revolving doors, yep. yeah. So, let's say um, there is a particular um, group of people that will just want to go into the building right. and they will generate the force to spin it around. Okay. Um, By doing so, a different type of people can jump on with it.
1: Different type of people? Well, I want to give it an example of... um, Let's say dogs want to go inside and cats want to go out, but there's too many cats outside.
2: Alright, so the dog <laughs> is generating, because it's following its gradient, yep. there's no dogs in the building, yep. but heaps outside, all right. so the dog is following its gradient of going inside the building. Because
0: heaps of
1: dogs pushing it to get through that revolving that door. And spins the revolving door. Gotcha.
2: Okay, now as it spins, you may, like cats hate dogs and vice versa, mm. so all the cats want to leave, so they go in the opposite direction and yep. go out the door.
1: But there's a whole bunch of cats outside.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: So you bugger that analogy up because so if they y- hate dogs, there's a high concentration of dogs outside and a high concentration of cats outside.
2: Okay. <laughs> so you get the point though.
1: It's gener it's
2: using the force that's generated by yeah. the dogs to leave, and that's yeah. called an antiporter because they're going in opposite directions.
1: Perfect. I like but,
2: that. But you may have other things that would jump on board in the same direction. Really? But going against its gradient and this is called a symporter.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. So an example of sim symport with secondary active transport is sodium Going from outside of the cell to inside the cell, down its concentration gradient yep. through a sodium channel. But glucose, where it's at high concentrations, usually inside the cell, wants to get in. So it jumps on the back of sodium and jumps in using its using sodium's energy to get inside.
2: I think a good one example of that is an in intestine. That was a pretty good it, one. Or well, specifically intestine.
1: For that. For that. Gotcha. Yeah, because you've just eaten postprandial, just eaten a bunch of food, high concentration of glucose in your gut.
2: And you might want to... You may already have a high concentration in the blood. Yes. And so you're still trying to get it um, against the gradient. gradient. Okay. So... So it uses sodium to do it. And this is part of the reason why we use... Um, and then also water will go with it because it's following its gradient as well. So that's part of the reason why we sometimes use isotonic fluids to increase hydration when you're exercising. Okay. So, it's the additional electrolytes that actually move water quicker as
1: well. Now, when it comes to antiport, I don't think there's any secondary active antiport. I think they're all, they all utilize ATP because I, I don't think it makes sense because usually if it's secondary active transport, it has to use the energy of the other molecules. So it has to go in the okay. same direction. Another good symporter example yeah. is in your… Um, kidney? Yeah, kidney. Your
2: loop of Henle. Yep. where you actually have um, sodium that will go from the lumen into the cell.
1: So, the hollow tube of your nephron yep. into the cells.
2: Yep. So, one sodium goes in, Yep. one potassium goes in, Yep. and two chloride go in. Okay. And so, those four molecules um, kind of facilitate each movement. I'm not sure which is the, the gradient. I can't think so it's my head. But anyway, they... Oh, the, they gra-
1: the gradient is... Um, gener- so you, what is it? Sodium, potassium, and, and chloride. chloride. All right. So the sodium and chloride are most abundant outside. So it has it's going. They're going down their own concentration gradient, which means potassium is piggybacking okay. on their All gradient right. to get in because potassium's higher inside the cell.
2: Yep. And so this particular channel you can block, in a very common diuretic. Okay called furosemide or Lasix.
1: Yep, which is a loop diuretic, right?
2: And yeah, that's a powerful one. Mm. And it will block this particular facilitated
1: um, channel. And the reason why it's so powerful is it, it keeps not just one type of ion in the, in the uh, ducts or the hollow tubes of the nephron. It keeps sodium, potassium and chloride. Yeah. And the more stuff you have, the more water is going to be attracted to it and stay in. That's, that's right. why it's a very strong diuretic.
2: Yep. And that because means the water remains in the ch- tubule or the lumen. Because of osmosis. And then you pee it all out. Yeah. So you pee more.
1: And more fluid going out, less fluid in the blood, less blood pressure. Or less fluid in the or body if you've got some... edema or something. Yeah, edemic like issue. Okay. Are we finished now? Almost. Okay. We've got the
2: two other examples which are basically bulk transport.
1: Okay. okay. What is
2: bulk transport? These would be... Um, a process called endocytosis,
1: uh, bringing things into something. Or "cyto" means cell, so bringing things into the cell.
2: And exocytosis, so exocytosis. Yeah.
1: I just thought you stumbled over your words. <laughs> That's bringing things out of the cell. Yep. So this is so bulk transport. This is
2: bulk transport. So it's rather than just one iron, one particle, it's usually mass amount.
1: Okay. Okay. Like uh, proteins, neurotransmitters. Yeah. Collect- Collection. So a good of-
2: example would be if. You had a cell that would want to swallow a big thing like a bacteria. All right. So this particular cell would be a white blood cell.
1: So an immune cell.
2: Yep. Particularly a phagocyte, which is an eating cell.
1: Like a macrophage.
2: Or a neutrophil. All right. It would want to kind of engulf the whole thing. So mm. it wrap its membrane around it yeah. and kind of swallow it in like a Pac-Man. Okay. So it just doesn't carry it across a so like channel. It's like Pac-Man
1: does with cherries.
2: Yeah, it doesn't oh. do it across a channel. It kind of just envelops it.
1: Ooh, envelop. Yeah.
2: Okay. So this would be um, a type of endocytosis, what we call phagocytosis. Yep. Another example would be receptor-mediated one. Yep. Which is governed by the receptors on the outside of the cell to be stimulated for this to internalize it. hmm And another example would be pinocytosis, which is basically just means drinking, cell drinking.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. And is EXO just the same process in reverse?
2: Yes, that's right. So, the, And a good example of EXO would be, like you said, with neurotransmitters, you might want to make a group of or a bundle of neurotransmitters inside a cell, but if you want to spit it all out, you kind of just... Um, how do you describe this? Yeah, um, so
1: I think if you take noradrenaline, for example, right, um, you need to create the noradrenaline from you know, dopamine and tyrosine and all these basic sources, and you start to accumulate the neurotransmitter, at the end of the neuron and then you wrap it in its own, basically, uh, phospholipid bilayer, in a way, and then you've accumulated yeah. all this. So they've, they've made their own mini cell, what we call a vesicle, and then you push that vesicle using the the stimulus of calcium to bind with the end of the neuron and basically... Because fats like fats and bilayers want to come together. They just merge. And as they merge, it ends up opening and spilling the guts. O- of
2: thousands. Of thousands. Rather of than have to send one at a time through a channel, which would take a lot longer.
1: That's right. Hence why bulk transport. Yeah. 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 And no. so exocytosis and endocytosis of neurotransmitters occurs together. Because obviously, once it's in that little space between the neurons... It needs to bind to the next neuron, and if it does or doesn't, it still needs to be recycled back up into that neuron. So endocytosis again. Yeah, yeah. And so there's drugs reuptake. Yeah, and there's drugs called reuptake inhibitors that stop the endocytosis of these molecules to make sure that the neurotransmitters stay in the space between the neurons for longer, so it has a greater effect or a more lasting effect. Yeah, excellent. All right. Now, we're
2: done? Can I give one last example because I forgot to mention it earlier and I thought it was a cool example.
1: Go for it. Is it another revolving door with cats and dogs?
2: Uh, Not quite. This is a drug called Digitalis. Digitalis. And and so, this will put it all together. So, what's
1: the difference between Digitalis and Digoxin? Is Digoxin the name, the brand? Yeah, I
2: think so. So, basically, this is used in a context of people with heart failure. So, they've got an inefficient heart contraction. Okay. So you need to give a drug that makes the heart more efficient without stressing it out more.
1: More efficient at contracting? Correct. What do we need for contraction? Calcium. So you're saying that we need to do something with calcium to make it more efficient? That's right. What's this thing we need to do?
2: Okay, so normally what happens in the heart, this is just normal physiological um, homeostasis. There's an exchange. You can tell me which type of exchange this is. Sure. There is sodium's been pumped out of the cardiac myocyte, so the muscle, heart muscle cell. So three sodium gets pumped out. Yep. And, sorry, three sodium gets pumped in and one um, calcium gets pumped out. Okay. Okay? So that's normally happening. Okay, this is just to hold resting membrane potential. Is that right?
1: No. So what happens is you have the sodium potassium ATPase pump that we spoke about earlier. That pumps... So now, wait,
2: that, that's how it blocks, but just normally...
1: No, no, but normally you need to talk about this one first.
2: Oh, oh, that, that, that generates a gradient. Correct. Okay, right. Yeah,
1: so the, the sodium-potassium pairs pump throws three sodium out, two potassium... Sorry, throws three, throws three sodium out and two potassium in okay. right, against their gradient, which means we now have heaps of sodium outside the cell. So we've got a gradient of sodium outside, not inside so that sodium wants to diffuse in and it does yep. and in actual fact it diffuses in through this membrane carries 3 sodium, sodium in and, and at the same time it throws one chloride out calcium, so calcium, calcium out right, yep. and if you throw calcium out it means there's less calcium in the muscle yeah so the muscle won't contract correct but so what does the joxin do
2: it blocks the pump
1: which one it's atpase the, pump
2: Yep. all right that's right so now it doesn't have that kind of ex- um uh, the
1: concentration gradient to do this. So so the sodium now remains inside the cell, yep. not outside. And so, so sodium can't go in to exchange with calcium. Correct. And so now calcium starts to
2: build up in the cell. Yeah. which increases the contractility of the cardiac myocyte which makes the muscle more powerful or more efficient to contract.
1: Contracts harder, therefore making each contraction more efficient.
2: Yeah, so this I just thought this one draws it all together because it talks about the not only the sodium um, calcium exchange, mm. the antiporter, but also the potassium sodium pump,
1: and how drugs come into play, and why students need to know membrane transport. Yes, great it's job. It's a very
2: Maddie. important underpinning concept for many many things.
1: It's important for sending. Signals to the neurons. It's important for heart contraction like we just showed. It's important for your kidneys like we demonstrated as well. It's important for nearly every cell of the body. It's important for neurons to send neurotransmitters. I think you already said that. I'm just saying that it's really (laughs) important. All right, Matt, we are done? We are done. One hour and 10 minutes talking about membrane transport. This is probably everything you need to know. So a lot of it. Well, good luck. Goodbye, Michael. Goodbye, Matthew.